Let's open our Bibles this morning where Paul was reading earlier for us, Matthew chapter 20. I've entitled the morning's message, Not Here and Not Now. Matthew 20, verse 17. Then Jesus, going to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road, and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and a son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Then the mothers of Zebedee's sons came to him, and her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said, Grant that these two sons of mine sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? And he said to him, we are. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, <clears throat> You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As we make our way uh, through Matthew, um, as you look back at verses 17 through 19, this is now the fourth time that he is going to tell them Uh, that he's going to Jerusalem and what's going to happen when he gets there. Um, An appropriate phrase right here is from Paul Simon in one of his songs. I quote it quite often. Man hears what he wants to hear and he disregards the rest. That is what is happening here and this is what's um, being applied. What he's telling them, guys, this is where we're going and when we get there, this is what's going to happen to me. To the point of death, And then I'm going to rise again the third day. The very next thing, the very next verse, we have James and John putting mom up to having a one-on-one with the Lord, trying to, I don't know, sweet-talk the Lord and allowing James and John, one sit on his right side and the other on his left side. And... Basically, in verse 22a, I'll just read the first part of it. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And basically what he's saying, and one of the reasons for the title of this message, not here, not now. Didn't you hear what I just said? And then, (laughs) over, over the head. But that didn't stop them from positioning themselves to sit in the kingdom. He said he was going to die and they were thinking, no, when we get to Jerusalem, I want to be president, John. James, I'd like to be secretary of state. And um, you don't know what you're asking. You're not listening, is what he's saying. It's not here and not now. In verse 22b, he explains in a different form, using the word Baptism to explain what's going to happen to him. So he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And that would have been the crucifixion. Are you guys able to do that? And be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? He's referring to death. And they said to him, yes, yeah, we, we can do that. And, uh, he, and then he says, well, actually, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on the left is not mine to give, but it's for those of whom it is prepared by my Father. Now this verse 
of uh, using uh, the terminology, drink the cup and be baptized, he is speaking openly about himself being crucified. The verse isn't about reigning with Jesus in the kingdom, but the Lord is simply telling them, because they weren't listening, what he just said about when he goes to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And uh, he asked them, can you guys do that? Well, they didn't quite understand it, but they agreed, yeah, we can do that. And then the Lord, knowing all things, uh, tells them, well, indeed, you are going to be baptized. Basically telling at least James, you are going to be martyred, James, for my sake. And um, I looked this up this week. I know that Stephen was the first, or Stephen was the first um, martyr. But the second one was um, James. So I'm quoting now from Fox's Book of Martyrs. After the martyrdom of Stephen, James, the holy apostle of Christ and brother of John, was also martyred. And then it gives us a little how they got this information. I cannot tell you, but here is um, Fox's Book of Martyrs account of uh, James's death. When this James, saith Clement, was brought to the tribunal seat, he that brought him and was the cause of his trouble, seeing him to be condemned and that he should suffer death, was in such sort moved within his heart and conscience that as he went to the execution, he confessed himself also of his own accord that he himself too was a Christian. And so they led forth both of them together. And while they were on the way, um, he desired to James to please forgive him for what he had done. After James had a little pause with himself on the matter, turning to him, he said, Peace to you, brother. And he kissed him. And then they were both beheaded. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with it? James and John had no idea what the Lord was telling him and saying, yeah, that's what's going to happen, James. Not to John. Of all the, all the disciples, they were all martyred, except John. And the Lord wanted to keep him around for a while because of the book of Revelation. And that's where our study is actually going to conclude. But um, I want to talk a little bit about motive. Their motive was wrong. They were, it was self-promotion all the way. It was ambition. And the result of their ambition, we read in verse 24, is that the other ten guys were moved with indignation against the ten, against the two brothers. They were ticked. Uh, Why were they full of anger and indignation? Well, the answer to that question was because the other ten wanted that position. Well, how do you know that, Dwight? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. It is in Mark chapter 9. And so just flip a couple pages over to the Gospel of Mark. And we'll look at verse 33. And we read, when he came to Capernaum and when he was in the house. So the Lord is in the house with the guys. And he pulls them aside and he said, what was it you were disputing about among yourselves on the road? I In my mind's eye, I see Jesus up ahead and the other 12 in the back, and they're going at it. What were you guys arguing about? And they wouldn't say anything. They kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So this was something not just with James and John. They were all jockeying for a position to have this seat. And so the Lord sat down, and he called the 12, and he said to them, Look, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to him, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He says, guys, you got it all wrong. It's not about now. It's not about here. Here, you're not going to rule and reign. 
but I want you to serve. And even to the very least of these. And actually, the Lord had just explained this to him. If you go back to Matthew, we're in 20, but if you go to Matthew 18, he basically had explained this to them. And chapter 18, verse 1 through 5, at this time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is then the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Why were they preoccupied with that? And Jesus called the little child to him and set him in the midst, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become like a little child. And now the world teaches us today to climb the corporate ladder. I mean, from the time you're young, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you want to be successful, and you want to achieve, and you want to make it to the top of the ladder and be on the top rung. And that's ingrained in our culture, in our society, And so what we have here in biblical Christianity is a thing turned right upside down. And you say, no, it's just the the opposite. You want to be great? Um, Well, he goes on to say, you have to learn to be servant of all. Verse 4, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one of these little children uh, like this in my name receives me. Think about children is, um, um, you know, they, they're so open to parents at that really young age that whatever, you know, I want to be, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be like my dad. That's what every three-year-old says. What do you want to be? I want to be like my dad. <laughs> and that, that kind of heart and that kind of attitude. The Lord even told a parable about the danger of self-promotion in Matthew chapter 18. Um, No, Luke chapter 14, I'm sorry. So let's go back to find that. Luke chapter 14, I'll give you a second to get to it. It's the parable of the ambitious guest. And again, the point of this is self-promotion, wanting to be seen. In verse 7 of chapter 14, he told the parable of those who were invited. And when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, Now when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And then he who invited you, and he comes and he says to you, Well, give place to this man, And then you being with shame, you have to take a lower place. But when you go to a wedding you're invited to, go and sit in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes and he says to you, friend, don't sit way back there. Come up here to a, a place of more prominence. And then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I've seen this so many times over the years in ministry. Um, people who say they're called by the Lord, and um, I won't mention any names, but there was one particular pastor that came into the community many years ago. I only met the guy once. And I remember saying, he'll be here for a year and no longer. I only met the guy one time but he was the most arrogant guy that I had ever met. And he wanted the esteem and the prestige, and he wore it on his countenance, and he was so full of himself, I just said, I know this verse. (laughs) And if he's looking into being exalted and raised up, just the opposite is going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And um, whoever, on the other hand, humbles himself and doesn't have those ambitions. Well, actually, this is exactly who the Lord is looking for. With that being said, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because that's exactly what Paul taught the Corinthians. Let's go to verse 23, where he just says, um, well, let's go back to 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. The smartest um, people who ever lived, um, because of their intellect and their degrees, um, they don't see always the necessity uh, for God's salvation. It's foolishness to them. For it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now the Jews look for a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews is a stumbling block. To the Greeks is foolishness. But to those who are called both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, if you think you're a somebody, God's going to show you you're a nobody. And if you think you're a nobody, then God can make you into a somebody. Good place for an amen. Amen. Why? Why does God do it that way? Well, the answer is in verse 29. That no flesh would glory in his presence. Oh, we're big and successful, so on and so forth, because I have this PhD and this degree, and I graduated at the top of my class, so on and so forth. And yet, when I look at the scriptures, I think in particular, there was a man in Acts chapter 4, chapter 3 actually has happened. Peter and, Peter and John were going into the temple one day, and it says that there was a lame person that was lame from his mother's womb. So from the day he was born, he couldn't walk. What they would do is carry him every single day, and then they would place him there, and he would beg for alms. Um, Last time I was in Jerusalem, I saw a guy with no legs, and um, he was sitting there, and he was just asking for alms. So even to this day, and I, of course I thought of that story with Peter and John, and and, uh, in, in Acts 4, um, Peter puts his eyes on the guy, he says, because he had his hand out, and Peter says, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this man who had been there every day of his life got up, and it says he went walking and leaping. Imagine never walking at all, and then not only walking, but leaping on top of it. And everybody knew this guy. He couldn't walk, but he's walking. So now the scribes and Pharisees have to acknowledge something. And um, they looked at the boldness, it says in Acts 4. They looked at the boldness that Peter and John had to make that statement. And it says they, they noticed that, let's see, I wrote this down. They were uneducated and untrained, but they had been with Jesus. They had nothing going for them. They were uneducated. And they were untrained, but the thing that they had going for them is that they had been with Jesus. The Lord picked these fishermen guys, (laughs) crusty old fishermen, probably young, and he chose them. He didn't go to the university in Jerusalem and uh, say, who's who's the best you got? Who's the brightest and the smartest? No. Um, Peter proved many times that he wasn't really bright <laughs> by putting his foot in his mouth, saying things he should never say. But he got it right sometimes. So as we begin our study today, the foundation that I would like to make is that the Lord really does choose the foolishness of this world so that when a work of God, a genuine work of God is done, they can say, obviously, it can't be that guy. He never even graduated from high school. 
So it's got to be God. And therefore, God gets the glory. But what they wanted, they wanted a, they wanted a position. James and John, all the disciples, all arguing about the same thing. I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. And, um, and basically, the Lord is saying, and here's the title of the message. Not here and not now. Someday, but not here and not now. Here and now, if you want to be great, then you look to be the servant of all. And the Lord is not so much concerned with your abilities, but your availability. Question, are you available? Are you willing to do whatever needs to be done? It's more of an attitude of a heart. Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, Some people are afraid to ask that question because you might end up in Africa. (laughs) If I say that to the Lord, I I might end up in Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. But how do you know? You know, I believe that the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. And whatever he tells you to do, he'll put it in your heart to want to do it. The real reason Pastor Chuck Smith ended up starting Calvary Chapel in Santa Ana is because he was a surfer and he loved to surf. And his motive for moving to Southern California from Arizona and to start uh, uh, the Calvary, uh, Calvary Chapel was because like, he loved to surf. Well, the Lord used that. And uh, he got him where he wanted to, and that's how Calvary Chapel started. He tells great stories. This is second service, so I'll tell you. He grew up in, in the 50s there. And Huntington Beach, if you go to there today, you can't even get on the beach. It's so crowded. Much less surf because everybody's surfing. But Chuck tells the story in his day, he could look down all the way down to Seal Beach one end and all the way down San Diego. You wouldn't see one surfer there. He said, I had the whole place to myself. And um, boy, those days are different. (laughs) As we uh, take this a step farther, um, unfortunately, bigger and better mentality has crept into our churches today. And what I'd like to do with the remaining time with our study is give a biblical perspective of what the church should be in the last days and um, what the church is like. And we're going to look at four different kinds of churches. I'm going to put something up on the screen right now. And uh, you'll notice in the bottom, let's see, right-hand corner, you had this little V going down. And basically it says churches that will exist when Jesus returns. The Lord gave to John. The reason John was not martyred is because he wanted to give to him the book of Revelation. John was 96 years old when he was exiled to an island um, um, called Patmos. And the seven churches that are made reference to here are all in modern-day Turkey, and they're all within 80 miles of each other. Um, The seven churches are divided into two sections. Um, One, two, and three is one division, and four through seven is another. Uh, The last four churches seem to be in existence when the Lord returns, and here's why. In other words, there will be four types of churches in existence when the Lord comes again for the rapture. And the reason I say that is because the first one in Thyatira, if you look at verse uh, in Revelation chapter 2, turn there, verse 25, he says, hold fast what you have till I come. Now I'll come back and we'll actually go through Thyatira in a a whole lot more detail. But then to the church of Sardis, he says it again, until I come again. Then to the church of Philadelphia, uh, there's clearly a reference that they will be in existence when he comes again. And then the last day church of Laodicea um, also uh, will be in existence when he comes again. So, What we're going to do is go back and let's start with Thyatira. And um, I believe the church of Thyatira here 
represents Roman Catholicism. And there are one point, um, I'll just run it off. There's over a billion people in the world today that uh, belong to Roman Catholicism. And that's the church that I believe the Lord has in view here, and I'll tell you why as we go through it. Um, He commends them, first of all, in verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. He does not condemn them. He commends them. He commends them for their love, for having a heart. Um, Roman Catholics are known. Um, Mother Teresa was adored by the world because of her work in Calcutta, India, for starting schools, for starting orphanages. Um, a lot of the missionary work in uh, Mexico and, and South America was all Roman Catholicism, starting with schools and so on and so forth. Now, he commends them for that, and rightly so. But the next word he says is nevertheless. And so we have a big change. All of a sudden, this is good, but nevertheless. He says... I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality to eat things sacrificed to idol. Well, the first question, who is Jezebel? It's Hillary. No, I'm no, no. I've got that in a side note here. It just, slipped, it just slips out from time to time. No, she married King Ahab. But she was not a Jew. She introduced Baal worship to Israel. You've all heard the story of Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. When we go there, we have this Bible study. And they had it out. There were 400 prophets of Baal, and Elijah says, I'm the only one. And the Lord says, no, you're not. There are 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. Elijah thought he was alone. But what they did is introduce into Judaism idolatry. And what the Roman Catholic Church has done, spiritually speaking, with this spiritual fornication and things sacrificed to idols, this is simply adding on to um, things that are not biblical. And it's called idolatry. I mean, they, they made Mother Teresa a saint that you're, you're supposed to pray to. Um, do you know that every person here is a saint? <laughs> when you came to Christ, it says, Paul says, I'm running to the saints that are in Philippi. So if you're a Christian who's born again, you're a saint. But to deify a person and then make idols out of them and statues out of them and worship them that's the second commandment. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Well, guess what? They don't have that in the Ten Commandments if you're a Roman Catholic. That one is missing. And they lengthen 9 and 10 so that he can come up with the Ten Commandments. Check it out for yourself. That is uh, one of the idolatries that are there. But then they have forgiveness of sin can only come through the Eucharist at the Mass. They actually have a table. Only a priest can take the wafer, hold it up, and it, we call it transubstantiation because then it's magically changed into literally the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They take that verse, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Well, no Jew would ever accept that. The biggest no-no in Judaism is drinking blood. Matter of fact, when it came time to give rules to the Gentiles, they only gave them two. No messing around sexually, no fornication, and don't drink blood. Or things that are animals that still have the blood in them. And so it's ludicrous to say that we are to drink the literal. And they, they believe it's the literal body and blood of Christ. They have also um, made Mary co-redemptress. Um, that she was a perpetual virgin. That's not true. Um, Mary came with uh, her kids one day, and they said, Lord, your, your mom's here. 
and your brothers, James and Joseph actually names them, and your sisters, plural. Mary had, after Jesus was born, um, they had, with Mary and Joseph, had at least five other kids that were brothers. One of them was James, not the James that was martyred, but the James in Acts chapter 15, who was the pastor. It wasn't Peter. It was actually um, um, James, Jesus' brother. Um, They have infant baptism. There was no such thing as infant baptism for the first 400 years of Christianity. And if you're not baptized, you can't be saved. I'm not kidding you. We've had, you know, we do baby dedications here, and usually... When we have a baby dedication, you know, then family members from outside the church will come here. And sometimes they're Catholic. Now, if you're especially old school Roman Catholic, if your baby isn't baptized, and uh, that's necessary for salvation in Roman Catholicism, open shoot, take baby, straight to hell. I've had people break down wailing after we've de- dedicated instead of Baptize, baptizing an infant. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach infant baptism. Without exception, it always says believe and be baptized, not the other way around. I like to say they have you from the cradle to the grave because you also have to have last rites. And in between, they have salvation is also necessary through works. And the Bible says it's either all grace or works. If of grace, that it can't be of works. That if it's of works, that it can't be of grace. You have to have works to enter the kingdom of heaven, according to Roman Catholicism. Now, do we do good works? Um, I hope so. <laughs> and uh, I hope you invest in the Gideons. I hope you invest in Haiti. And I hope you're full of good works. The Bible says that Jesus went around doing good. Having said that, it has nothing to do with my salvation. Good place for an amen? You see, you'll never, the Bible says, the only commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your strength and soul and your might. I found out that I can only really love him if I really understand what he did for me. And I realize that he did it all, and that touches me right here because I know I'm not worthy of any of it. And if I thought I had, I could do something like a good work or pray to a saint or pray this prayer, um, I would mess it up somewhere. But when Jesus said, it is finished, you know what that means? It means it is finished. <laughs> and you can't add anything to it. Either it is grace or it is works, but the two can never be put together. You will have good works, however, if you are saved. So the Lord says, unless you repent of all this in 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of all this idolatry that came into the church. But she did not repent. And these doctrines are still in Roman Catholicism today. He says, I'm going to cast you into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. This is telling me that this person that has these doctrines are going to go through the great tribulation. That's what verse 22 is saying. If you don't repent, you're not going to be raptured. These people aren't saved. There's a billion people in the world today that think they're Christians and think they're going to heaven, um, and they're not. The Lord says, unless they repent of this idolatry, They're going to go through the great tribulation, and only people who are not saved go through the great tribulation. I'll take it a step farther. Um, 23, I will kill your children with death, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will give each, each one of you according to your works. But to you and to the rest in Thyatira, and as many as who have not known the doctrine this doctrine, and who have not known, notice, the depths of Satan. These are strong words. This is satanic, is what the Lord is saying. I will will not put on you any other burdens. 
And during the first service, I told the story about a friend I've been witnessing to for years. And he's Roman Catholic, or he was. And what it says next here is that um, to those who don't hold to this doctrine, what is that saying? Well, let me put it in a story form so you can grasp it better. This person that I led to the Lord, him and his family are very Roman Catholic. And yet over a period of years, he says, I don't believe in purgatory, I don't believe in praying to Mary, I don't believe anything except what's in the Bible. And so he's, he's a born-again person who sits in a Roman Catholic church every Sunday. They watch this live stream every week, but they don't dare come here because if they do, there's going to be trouble at home in the family. And um, we've gotten to the point where we're talking, and I'm saying, you know, the Bible says that the Lord actually came to cause problems in the family. He says, don't think I've come to bring peace. I haven't. I've come to bring division. What? Why would Jesus do this? That's not very loving. Why would Jesus bring division? He says, in your own house, there will be a, father, a father-in-law against a mother-in-law. Um, daughter against a mom. Um, division right in your own household. We had one guy here who was a teacher at, um, at Catholic school on the other side of town. This is, were the days when we were on cable, Time Warner Cable. They've taken all religious broadcasting off Time Warner Cable or we would still be on. Well, he would catch us, catch us, you know, surfing on in there. And uh, he liked what he heard. So he would sneak in after Sunday morning. He would come in late, and he would get, back in those days, it was the tapes. <laughs> and for two years, he would come and get the Bible study and take it. And after two years, he had the nerve to come and sit here on a Sunday morning because he was sure he'd gotten to the poise place where he was sure that he he might not get struck by lightning if he came in as a Catholic because in Roman Catholicism there is only one true holy church. It's the Roman Catholic Church. So for him to make that move, the good news is he got to know the Bible so well and he understood this first time going through Revelation. By the way I'm going to be talking about Protestants next but unless I forget both Mainline Roman Catholicism and mainline Protestantism do not take the book of Revelation literally or seriously. And yet, chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed is he who reads this book, for the time of its fulfillment is close. And then the last thing it says in Revelation 22, the last couple of verses, is don't mess with this book. Anybody who adds to it, anybody who takes it, anything away from it, God's going to add unto him the things that are written in this book. Sounds to me like the Lord wants us to understand the book of Revelation. So as we look at the church of, of Roman Catholicism, um, there are people that are saved that go to a Roman Catholic church uh, just to keep peace in the family. Uh, you probably know some. And um, they, there will be people who are brought up, just like the next one here, Sardis. I come from the Protestant vein. So as we read about Protestantism, what the Lord says about them is in verse 1, he says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. So now we have the denomination that I grew up in. It was a Protestant denomination. And um, we said the Apostles' Creed. Um, We also, uh, uh, they also practice, however, infant baptism. And they connect it with salvation. And they have a name, uh, if you would ask me if I was a Christian, at at the denominational church that I went to, I said, of course. Uh, Grew up in this church. Dad was there for 25 years, and when he, 
he got saved, he got mad. (laughs) And he went and he had a one-on-one with the pastor of the Protestant church. He says, I've been going here for 25 years. And not once did you ever tell me I had to be born again. Dad didn't know the Lord. I didn't know the Lord. I was an usher. I was the guy in this church where they closed with the Our Father. There was three places you rang the bell. Our Father, my job, ding. Because now you know you're getting, the church is almost over. And then right in the middle, there was a part where, where, um, forgive us our trespasses somewhere, ding. That was my job. And then when he said amen, ding. And that was everybody's cue, church is over, and um, we would usher the people out. There was times I didn't go to church, and mom and dad weren't in town, but I would go and get a bulletin, and then I would go play pool at the magnet instead. But if I brought home a bulletin, what does that prove? Well, son, good, uh, glad you went to church. I'm glad you didn't ask me what the sermon was about. (laughs) Religion. And that's what this is, the Church of Sardis. Are there people in Lutheran churches and Protestant churches that are saved? Absolutely. Uh, Verse 4, you have a few names in Sardis that have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. Um, So in these two churches, what I want to point out is, remember, I want to show you that there's going to be four churches that will be in existence when Jesus comes again. And we have a billion Roman Catholics. We see that out there today. Um, We have Protestantism. We see that in our world today. But they weren't watching. And one thing about the denomination that I grew up in, not only did they not know the book of Revelation, but they did not hold to or believe in the rapture. And if you read here in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch. My question is, watch for what? Well, the Bible clearly teaches the rapture. And uh, when he talks about it in Matthew 24, he says, watch, therefore, for you don't know the day or the hour. Just be ready. I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Well, if you're not taught the rapture, how could you be watching for it? And so that's what verse 3 is actually meaning here. So um, as we go on to the next church, um, leaving Sardis, dead Protestantism, well, actually it reminds me of uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And one, the five that were wise had oil, which I believe uh, is representative of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have five of these virgins that are born-again Christians, and we have five of them that are not. And all of a sudden, the cry went out in, the, in Matthew 25, if you want to look this up later. The Lord's coming, and the, the bridegrooms trimmed their lamps, and they went out to meet the Lord. But the other ones that didn't have oil, they went out and said, give us some of your oil because we don't have any. And they said, no, 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 you're going to have to go get your own. And that tells me that you're just not automatically saved because mom and dad is. Everybody has to have their own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Good place for an amen. It's got to be personal. You've got to know him personally because someday the Lord's going to say to some who thought they were Christians, depart from me. I never knew you. Yeah, but I knew all about you. I went to church every week. Did this and that. And he says, but I never knew you. And so we read uh, the admonition. While they went to buy the five foolish ones, the bridegroom came. And those that were ready went in with him unto the marriage. And the door was shut. And they were taken. What is, you know, when... The Lord talks about the rapture being like it was in the days of Noah. Some friends of ours just just got back from Kentucky, and they were telling us about the the ark and just how incredibly huge this thing is. 
And the Lord says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's what it's going to be like. The ark only had one door. There was only one way in. The ark is a type of Jesus. He said, I am the door. And when the Lord uh, came for the virgins, they were taken up and the door was shut. Imagine the other virgins came back and said, where did everybody go? (laughs) And it was too late. Just like when the Lord, when you read the account of the flood, it says the Lord closed the door on the ark. And then what happened? They were taken up. What was happening below? Judgment. What happens at the rapture? We're taken up. What happens down below? It's called the day of the Lord. A seven-year period of time that we're not here for. What happens when it's over? We come back. And what do we do then? We rule and reign. The name of the study is not now, not here. James and John, jockeying for position. They wanted it now. We want the kingdom now. There's, there's a group um, out there that's called, it's called Dominion Theology, or Kingdom Now. And um, I want to let you know, a little sidetrack here, because I believe it's my job to warn against false doctrine and false teaching. And one of the big false doctrines out there today is what's called, it's got different names, it's called Dominionism, Reconstructionism, or Kingdom Now uh, Theology. Um, The roots go way back to John Calvin. Uh, C. Peter Wagner was a big mover and shaker in it. Uh, The movement, this theology spread through groups like the Vineyards, the Kansas City Prophets, um, IHOP. And the people who teach this today, this is where I need to name names so you'll know who holds this teaching. Basically, the teaching is we have to Christianize the world through the preaching of the gospel, and then, and only then can Jesus come back after the world has been Christianized. And actually, um, we're living uh, in the kingdom age right now. And the people that you would recognize by name who hold to this would be David Barton from Wall Builders, uh, Rick Joyner, Pat Robertson, um, Bill Johnson from Bethel. And I mentioned this during the first service too. You, I'll give you permission to write this down because it's worth um, listening to. Uh, Eric Barger is going to be here for our prophecy conference. Well, he did an interview this week with Jan Markell. It's all about Bethel Church in Reddings, California. And they interviewed two parents that lost their child through the indoctrination program of this cult that's out there. It's the rage uh, in California right now. And you can hear it. You can just Google Jam Arkell. She has a huge uh, prophecy conference where thousands of people show up in the Twin Cities. And um, Eric did this interview with her with his, these parents who have completely brainwashed this girl where she's not allowed any contact with her parents and um, she can't get any other input other than the people who are on staff at uh, Bill Johnson's church in Bethel. And he is one that holds to this um, dominionism or kingdom now theology. Okay, little rabbit trail. You've heard about it. and These are some of the people that are involved with it. Um, And if we're living, I like to say, if we're living in the kingdom now, I'm really disappointed. (laughs) Because I look around and the Lord says, these are the beginnings of sorrows. T.A. McMahon, when he was here, said, here's the reality, guys, with the church of Philadelphia that we're going to look at next. Um, The real Bible-believing born-again churches are going to be smaller. They're not going to get bigger. The ones that are going to get bigger are the ones that are coming up with man-made programs and um, things, things that they can offer you other than the word of God. Well, let's look at Philadelphia here because this also 
is going to be a church in the last days. Verse 8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength. That, I think that means they're small in number. They're not a mega church, but they've kept my word. See, they were a Bible-believing church. And you have not denied my name. Matter of fact, you've even taken it so far to say that there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Where a lot of churches are willing to dumb down, compromise, so that they can have more people coming to their churches. But not Philadelphia. He commends them in verse 9. He says, Indeed, I'm going to make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews that are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commandment to persevere, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. Okay, question. Does everybody here know what a trial is? Everybody can shake their head yes. I know what a trial is. Some of you are going through a trial right now. But this trial is happening over the whole world. It can only mean one thing. We're talking about the tribulation. What does that mean? Well, because you've kept my word. Even though you're little in strength and you haven't compromised, this is what I'm going to do for you. When the tribulation comes, I'm going to keep you out of it. Well, the only way to escape it is to not to be in it. And that's exactly what happens. God always has a witness. The Old Testament, it was Israel. When the church was birthed at Pentecost, now he says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Now you're the witness. We are to be witnesses and witnesses of the Lord Jesus. For how long? Till the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That's Romans. Well, what's that? That's when the church age ends, with the rapture of the church. That's what he's telling Philadelphia. You've been true to me. You have not denied me. You have little strength. And because you've done that, I'm not going to, he calls his real church the bride. And he's not going to take his honeymoon in the great tribulation. First uh, Thessalonians 5, talking about the rapture. And he says, the Lord knows has not appointed us to wrath. Well, that's exactly what the uh, tribulation is. It's a seven-year period of the wrath of the Lamb. That's Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. That's what it is. And then after he says you're going to be removed from it, he says, therefore, scare one another to death with these words. No. He says, comfort one another. You see, I've read the book of Revelation many, many times. And there's stuff in here that is so scary that you don't want anyone to go through this period of time because it's going to be that bad. And yet, the church of Thyatira, they're, they're going, going to be cast into it, but it's the church of Philadelphia. He says, I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one takes your reward. In other words, don't give up. Keep, keep on um, having your daily devotions. I'm going to close reading Chuck this morning. Keep on um, with your devotions. Keep on at men's prayer, women's prayer. Uh, being in church, you know, if you're not traveling. And um, the Lord says that if you do that, you'll be one of those five virgins that were ready. Let's look at the last one. It's Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now here is another church that is huge, especially in America today, and it's what I call the prosperity teachers or the prosperity doctrine. And all they ever talk about is money, all the time. 
And it's every time you're there, it's about the next thing they want to want to do. And uh, they have a perception of themselves. Verse 17, because you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. So here's a church that has become wealthy. And um, they have need of nothing. But that was their perception. But the Lord says, my perception of you, you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So one had a perception that, boy, we're loaded. We got a lot of bucks. We got a lot of people. We got a gymnasium, we got a restaurant, we got all this, and we really got it going. That was their perspective. And outwardly, it had that outward success. But the Lord said, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve um, that you may see. And he's rebuking them. As many as I love are rebuke and chastise. Therefore be zealous and repent. The Lord says, your prosperity doctrine is making me nauseous to the point that I want to barf. That's a pretty graphic word, isn't it? I don't think I've ever used that from the pulpit before. <laughs> this, is, this is why it makes me want to vomit. Go ahead and put it on the screen. U.S. preacher asked followers to buy him his fourth private jet. Jesse Duplantis asked, said God told him to buy a Falcon SX, only $54 million. And he added that he was hesitant about the purchase at first, but God told him. How many times I've heard prosperity teachers get out of the scriptures and say, God told me. Yeah, well, if God tells you and it contradicts what the scripture says, God did not tell you. The Jesus that I know said foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head down at night. And he went around especially um, remembering the poor. How many Gideon Bibles could we buy, Clem, for $54 million? Huh? Quite a few. And yet what are they doing? They're piling upon their self-indulgence. And their attitude, not here, not now, it's Joel Olstein's book, who is one of, one of the prosperity teachers, Your Best Life Now. I would never tell a new believer that. I tell a new believer, boy, are you in trouble. <laughs> you, you're going to have two natures now. One, one was hard enough, now you've got two and they hate each other. You've got the flesh, and then you've got the spirit. The Bible says they are contrary to each other. In other words, they're at each other all the time fighting. So I like to tell the people the truth when they, when they get saved. It's true, your name's written in, in heaven. It's true that the angels are rejoicing. And uh, it's also true that the devil is going to try to undo what you just did. And he's going to be after you, and he'll leave you alone for a while, but he'll be back. That's what it was with the Lord. He did not want Jesus to go to the cross. He says, I'll give you the kingdom now. Just get down and worship me. The Lord said, get behind me, Satan. And rebuke him. Thou shalt worship the Lord God, him only. Shall you worship? Who are the prosperity um, big names today? That ha- I'm just going to name the ones that actually really have their own private jets. Benny Hinn. Frederick Price. Uh, Kefro Dollar. How's that for a name for a prosperity teacher? He has his own jet. Jan and Paul Crouch had one. K.A. Paul. Joyce Meyer. Paul and Randy White, Mike Murdoch, Kenneth Copeland, Rod Parsley. They all have their jets for ministry. No. And you know what it makes me? It makes me want to vomit. Literally. It disgusts me. You know why? Because there's really people wanting to know the truth. And the average person out there, I think of the average teenager right now watching TV, and they see the setup for the, the importance of tithing and tithing to this ministry and so forth. They see right through it. And they say, what a sham. Why would I want anything to do with that? It's disgusting. It makes me sick. Well, you're in good company. The Lord said, I want to spew you out of my mouth. That's the Lord being polite. Dwight used the word barf. <laughs> 
You know, it's so it's so sad that you try to mix humor in it just to somewhat um, lighten it up. But you know, when you do teach through the the scriptures, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, you have to deal with these issues. This Bible study this morning tells us that there's going to be four different kinds of churches that are going to be here in the last days. Roman Catholicism, Protestantism, the true born-again church, Philadelphia, and the prosperity doctrine. I'll just ask you, either you see it or you don't, and um, either it's out there or it's not. But the Lord says that all of these would be in existence in the last days. Well, if you look at verse 21... It answers the disciples' questions on who gets to sit on the throne in the church of Laodicea. Um, there were those that were, were saved that did repent from this doctrine, who've come out of it. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Oh, as I also overcame and sat down with my disciples. Well, that's where we started the Bible study. Um, but here's the thing. Jesus told James and John, not here, not now. But when? Oh, when Jesus comes again, when he establishes his kingdom. But it's not just James and John, it's the church. All the church is going to sit with Jesus on his throne. And you ask me, well, how is that possible? And my answer to that is, I don't have a clue. I have no idea how that's going to work. But I know what the word says here. Well, what about James and John? Aren't they going to get any special recognition because they were the 12 disciples? Yeah, they are. We'll close with this. Go to Revelation 21. Look at verse 14. All the guys were arguing. God does want to raise them up. He does want to give them a position of authority. He does want you to rule and reign with him. Revelation 21 is the description of our eternal home. When the Lord said, I go to prepare a place for you, this is the place he's talking about. The walls of the city had 12 foundations and on the names, and on them were the names of who? The 12 apostles of the Lamb. What James and John wanted at that time, it wasn't right. They were supposed to be servants, not seeking a position or a name. Well, they're going to get their position. And they're going to get a name that every time we go home, um, what foundation were you on? Oh, I'm on, I'm on Peter's foundation. <laughs> or I'm on John's foundation. Or I'm on James' foundation. Gang, what I'm telling you is factual. It's going to happen. Jesus, again, said uh, in, in closing uh, with this that... Um, I can't add anything to the book of Revelation, nor dare I take anything away. And if it tells me that there's a city that's 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high, then there's a city that's beyond beauty and description. And in the Old Testament saints, uh, their names, on verse 12, and there was a wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at, at the gates, and the names were written on them are the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Isn't that interesting? So we have a mixture of the old and the new in the new, new city. Um, I read this yesterday, and I said, Lord, this is so appropriate to end the Bible study with. Pastor Chuck can say so much. This is no restrictions from yesterday. Is the Spirit of God restricted? Is he limited to whom he can speak through or what he can say? Is the spirit to be blamed for what is happening to the nations or for the seemingly weakness of the church today? The answer is no. The spirit of God is not restricted in any way. Though we are weak and um, ineffective, he is not. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and declares, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And although I'm baffled by the condition of the world, he's not. He still has a heart for the world and still desires to draw the lost to Jesus Christ. You can be an instrument in his hand regardless of your abilities. God can use you without a seminary degree, without a PhD, if you yield to him. He can and will use you to share the truth of Jesus Christ with the dying world. 
uh, we can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth if we yield ourselves to God's spirit and let him work out his plan through our lives. May God work through us to bring this world to its knees. And all the people said, let's stand up and pray. Lord, as we make our way through your word, we find human nature entering in, wanting to be recognized, wanting a position, and basically telling the guys, not here and not now. But then the promise that if we continue, that you have a place prepared for us, and that then we will rule and reign with you and have positions of prominence and authority. Lord, give us that um, child's heart that we read about earlier, and um, just pray that your word would accomplish what you want it to this day. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.